this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, coming off of your massive high <laughs> of a Cleveland sports championship, Woo! you have to be, uh, we have to settle you down a little bit. and uh, The champion, Tim. You are a champion. There's no good segue out of this introduction. <laughs> we'll just say that us recording this, that cleveland has won a championship is by far the most bizarre and unexpected thing uh that probably either of us have uh, expected i was kind of uh happy to learn that actually the team with the that's next in the most pitiful performance is san diego or the city with the with the uh, san diego um chargers and padres and yeah they don't have a basketball team or a hockey team though Right, they're a two-sport town. You have yeah. to have at least two sporting t- sports teams, I think, to qualify that are yep. professional. There's you basically have four options: basketball, baseball, football, and hockey. Yep. Um, I say, and and Buffalo is, is like second, right behind San Diego. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I say that it, you kind of have to give San Diego a pass because they have perfect weather the entire year round. So it's like yeah. they they kind of don't care. Right, right. I I wouldn't call their fan bases, you know. So how long has it been for Buffalo? Well, I think they're what they do is they take all the seasons that those teams have played, or something like that, like and they combine them all and something. So like okay. Buffalo is like a hundred and five seasons that they've gone without. They have basically haven't had a championship since like nineteen sixty two or three. It was when the Browns were winning championships in the nfl uh-huh the bills were winning champions in the championships in the afl and then as the, the Browns, sabers have never won no they uh they made it to the stanley cup a bunch of times but they've never won yeah. they lost a huh. famously lost a game seven to uh a brett hull uh redirection using his skate that should have been called but they uh won it on that goal hmm and then they lost to the the the, the Phillies or the Phillies, the Flyers in the seventies, who were the, you know the um, what they call them, the Broad Street Bullies. They uh, they lost a uh, series, like a six game playoff series, to them in the Stanley Cup Finals. So, well, I, I'm happy to pass to you the crown. Well, thanks. Wear it with pride. <laughs> yes, uh, I'm glad to move on to next and no longer yeah. live that story. Jay, let's. Awkwardly segward, segward. Let's awkwardly segue. <laughs> awkward. <laughs> yeah, try to say it. Awkwardly segward. Yeah, segward. Well said. Thanks. Uh, into our requested review. Requested, requested review. This one is from our 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 buddy Abe, who previously requested the album by Section Eight that we we just did. It was our last review that we did. And uh, we both came away finding some interesting stuff with that record that we kind of liked. Mm. You know, that was, I think we both gave it an EP rating, but there was, it was a pretty obscure record, but we found some cool stuff to 
talk about uh, about that record. So Abe has given us a second request. This one is a band. Uh, again, I don't think that either of us are familiar with. They're called Cashmere J, and mm. they're from Denmark. And we're going to check out their debut album from 1994. It's called Travelogue. Were you familiar with Cashmere? No, not at all. Neither was I. They had a couple of like demo EPs that came out before this record, but this is really the first album. Um, so Abe gave us some some notes. He said, this is a three-piece band from Denmark. Travelogue is their debut album, which I mentioned, and is about as interesting, if less disciplined, than their 1996-97 sophomore effort, Cruzential, I think is how you say it. I consider both to be extremely serious hard rock records. The musicianship speaks for itself. The vocals are unorthodox, but strong. It wouldn't be unreasonable to assume these guys were influenced by Les Claypool and Primus. The production is big, ballsy, and correct. Sadly, the rest of Cashmere's career turned out to be a colossal disappointment. They are still active to this day, but I wouldn't liken their post-97 catalog to an even less compelling Coldplay. Well, in their early days, they were somewhat they were a somewhat dangerous band, certainly subversive in their dark and sarcastic way. By 1999's Mom, Mom in Love, Daddy in Space, the uh, Good Life Days, the band had completely lost its nerve being eviscerated of all testosterone. Woof. Some rough words from Abe. Uh, He says, as Ian Asprey once said, rock music was meant to be played from the waist down. In that sense, Travelogue, as well as Cruzential, is very much a Memphis hip-shaking record. It is a shame this act had little exposure outside Denmark in the mid-90s. Perhaps they could have done some mainstream success could have had some mainstream success and might therefore have not chosen to go soft and limp. So Abe laying it down, calling the cashmere out on their soft and limp direction. Uh, we should talk a little bit history, uh, just so that everybody's aware. Like it, it mentioned, they're from Denmark, formed in '91. They were originally a three-piece: Casper, uh, Eistrup, Mads, Thunberg or Thunbjerg and Asker Techow. And they were a three-piece up until 2001, which is when they put out their fourth record, and that's when Henrik Lindstrand joined, I believe, on second guitar. So they put out uh, a bunch of records. Basically, like, every other year they've put out a record. And I want to mention, the one of the interesting ones is their 19... Or, excuse me, their 2005 record which is uh called no balance palace and it's their fifth overall record now what's interesting is that it was produced by tony visconti all right so that's a well-known producer david bowie appears on the record singing a duet on a song called the cynic Hmm. and lou reed appears on the record singing a spoken word like poem type thing on one of the songs I don't know many records that have both David Bowie and Lou Reed guesting. Yeah, no kidding. So that's kind of the... And so, you know, this band, uh, in 99, they put out their third album, The Good Life. It went to number three in Denmark. Their album in 2001, Home Dead, made it number 11. Then they had three consecutive number one records in 2003, 2005, and 2010. So as far as Denmark goes, and then their 2003... 2013, excuse me, album, Ear... Uh, also went to number one. 
So they've had four number one records out of, I guess, seven. And they've hmm. had one compilation album and then some EPs and singles and whatnot on a live album. Pretty successful Denmark band. Uh, probably, you know, known in, in Europe and uh, they've charted in um, the Netherlands and Sweden. But uh, outside of that, not a band that you or I are familiar with and probably not a lot of our listeners. Want to remind people if they want to make a suggestion, they can head on over to digmeoutpodcast.com and go to our request a review page. Or if you'd like to join us at Patreon, you can make a suggestion for the 2017 season by joining at the 250 level. And after 12 months, you get to pick a record. You can also join at the $1 level. So, Jay, let's talk about Travelogue by Cashmere. Tell me one thing you liked about the record. Well, there, you know, there's definitely musicianship here, um, especially for a three-piece. Um, I didn't; that wasn't apparent to me uh, listening. I guess it makes sense going back and, and revisiting it. You can kind of hear there's a simplicity mm-hmm. to the overall sort of. You know, it's not layered; it's true to the form, um, but it doesn't sound thin. Mm-hmm. You know, credit to them. Right. Uh, that's not always easy to pull off. Yeah, I mean, I think the the there's definitely you know some interesting guitar parts. Uh, the bass player does some things I like and don't like, but he's certainly talented and capable. And the drums are interesting enough, you know, some cool fills and time changes here and there, but not overly complex. You know, kind of stays very much in the uh, for the most part. Most of the songs are uh, stay within a you know kind of a groove oriented rock mode mm-hmm. I, i'm gonna echo you on that i mean i think when you first hear this band what comes across is that oh, they're clearly good musicians and casper Istrip, who's the guitar player and lead singer you know i kind of having listened to enough albums and seen enough live performances he seems like one of those guys that would be like ridiculously good as a guitar player and animated as a singer you just kind of know that super talented kind of guy who can kind of do anything as a vocalist and, you know, project personality and whatnot. Um, it can be a double-edged sword because sometimes you can cross over into almost like parody. He uh, covers a lot of ground on this record in terms of different styles of singing. And I'm assuming that he's, as the singer guitar player, he's probably, I don't know what the, what the makeup of the band is, but in a lot of those cases, those guys are the ones that are writing the, all the, a lot of the songs, demoing the songs. So there's an interesting, um, I think one of the things I found interesting was the diversity of the record. Um, Abe mentioned Les Claypool and Primus. I didn't hear that as much. I definitely, I mean, I think what he's talking about is like there's a little bit of a a groove or a funk in some of the guitars. You could also say Chili Peppers kind of. There's some slap bass and some of the vocal delivery, kind of like the almost pseudo rap kind of stuff. It could be Primus. Yeah, that reminded me more of Anthony Kiedis. Uh, just sure. I, uh, I mean, that's and that's two sides of a different, you know, same coin or whatever. Oh, no, 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 no. 
you know, it's hard when you're judging, you know, clearly this isn't his first language. So sometimes the word choices or the phrasings come across a little awkward. There's a, in the first song, the story of Jamie Fame Flame, which is basically the story of, you know, a rock star, an arrogant rock star who is, you know, dismissive of basically his fans and then uh, suffers a, a fall in the story of, of Jamie. Some of the word choices and the way that he phrases stuff, it's it's jarring the way he puts things together uh, lyrically. Um, yeah. Let me just I'll start off with, because uh, I got the CD, actually. Uh, Whoa. I did, and uh, got it from Denmark. And, uh, did you go, to, uh, go pick that up at Coconuts Music? <laughs> I got it at my local uh, Sam Goody. Camelot? Yeah. And uh, no, I had to have this shipped... Uh, via whatever DHL to get it over here, uh, mm. but in the second, the second verse starts out. Next day in the paper, I read about a raper, a picture that was supposed to be me. So I was walking down the stairs and I didn't seem to care. I met this crowd and they were shouting at me. They were jumping on my records, burning all my pictures, closing down the fan club, turning over my car. Then I realized that they were all hypnotized and that I was no longer a star. Some of the stuff when he's singing that, it sounds really chunk like clunky, and it happens when, when you read it. It sounded really clunky. So I know it was hard. To, it. it was hard to read, let alone yeah, yeah. Um, and that, that happens a couple times. So it reminded me, not reminded me, but it it made me think about the band Kent that we reviewed way back when, um, hmm. and they were a band. What are they? They're not. Are they Swedish? Jay. Kent is Swedish, yes. Yeah. And they would record one album essentially with some of the lyrics, or, or they'd do one version of the lyrics in Swedish. And then they basically completely rewrite the lyrics for an Im- English version. So they weren't trying to, like, I guess, translate or, you know, make everything fit. Essentially, the songs were completely different songs mm. so that they would rhyme and they would work. And I never got the sense listening to Kent of clunkiness with the vocals sure whereas this one it it threw me for a loop because i'd be listening to it and then like you mentioned like sometimes and i guess it was a stylistic choice as well but there would be parts of songs where he'd be almost like you know doing an anthony kiedis style rap and you're like for someone who's not a big fan of anthony kiedis that's a little bit tough to swallow yeah no not me neither um i I thought as much as he did Anthony Kiedis. He also did um, Eddie Vedder. I think there's definitely yes. some early Pearl Jam sounding stuff on here. Especially on the back um, half with like little old birdie funk thing. Yeah. And yellow. I grab a pen's writer, draw a silly picture of my brain. Over my own look better. But it's all just bits of paper. Moments passed away 
he hits a couple of the Eddie Vedder voices too. It's not just one of them. I mean, he does the Jarl, but he can also do kind of the the more snarly uh, voice or the lower register kind of growly voice that Eddie Vedder does. I mean, he kind of uh, not even to- not just tonally, but also uh, from a phrasing standpoint, there there's some stuff that uh, gets very similar to who Teddy Vedder. So I felt a little bit like this record. We're, we're, we're touching on it here with the vocal, but I even felt like musically, it was it's very much of the time. You know, it's this to me when I listen to this, this sounds exactly like 1994. Uh, it's kind of an amalgamation of a lot of different bands that were at that you know popular at that time, or right. you know from Primus to Red Hot Chili Peppers to Pearl Jam to shit. I, um, I mean, all of the sort of alternative stuff. There's moments here and there when they get heavier. That's I think where it's a bit more distinctive for me. You like on like leather train? Hearts. Yeah, and when there's some riffs, I, I can't. That that's when it. I start thinking more of sounds like Black Sabbath. Right. Um, you know, there's just moments here and there, which uh, I don't know if it's a personal thing, but I just, or if it's just, uh, I think doing this show and just in general living through the nineties, I really don't want to hear band. I don't want to hear Pearl Jam and Red Hot Chili Pepper ripoff bands. <laughs> Those are two of maybe four that I just, we just, the world doesn't need more of. Right. Um, so when I hear things like that, like I think when the band gets a little heavier, then it becomes a little more distinctive to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it takes it starts to take on an identity. I, I sort of think of maybe more, more like clutch or something like that. They don't get that heavy, but you know, there's some riffs here and there. And the, uh, another misstep I think on this record though is then they have a tendency to slip into like little proggy kind of bits here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, which uh, see a song like Yellow I think starts off as kind of feeling like it kind of could be a soaring uh, kind of mid-tempo tune and it gets after the first verse or so it starts to get very tedious with these musical bits and flourishes and whatnot and i think that happens on a couple other songs where uh i think their musicianship gets in there gets in the way a little bit they're not quite they're not quite doing enough to be interesting as a pure you know um jam band or some kind of like you know prog band or something mm-hmm. uh, just a, from a musical level and then they're not quite there from a songwriting standpoint they're sort of in the middle of you know not really committed either way of what kind of band they're trying to be in that regard are they trying to write songs or are they just trying to you know kind of uh write riffs and jam and you know do musical more music oriented pieces yeah and just to touch on yellow that sounds like a like it was a demo from pearl jam's 10 like it's yeah, oh yeah so much like pearl jam yep. it's kind of ridiculous the i think the the thing that i had trouble with was just i couldn't figure out what they were trying to be like they're so scattershot art of me the second track has this like spanish kind of feel to it
then you go to Leather Crane, and that's like this Soundgarden meets Black Sabbath riff thing going mm-hmm. on. And then the back half is a bunch of like Pearl Jam sounding stuff. I don't know. I had really hard time like figuring out what they were trying to do. And like you said, you used the word tedious. That kind of was like the whole record for me in the sense that these aren't that long of a song, like songs. Yeah. But they felt long. Like, yeah. And maybe it's just the amount of singing that he's doing. You know, there's a lot of singing. A lot of the songs are covered by vocals. And then when they're not, you know, like, there'll be a song where it'll be like an acoustic guitar and a vocal. And then it'll go on for like three and a half minutes. And then it'll go into like a heavy chugging part with some riffing and maybe go back to the acoustic part. And the, and the, the, the heavy part really is just there is like some sort of a musical bridge. It's not like integrated into the song. I just found myself like, even though these, there's only two songs over five minutes, like there's one pretty close at 4.52. But yep. man, these, these seem to take a little bit longer than I was expecting for a, a record that's really not that long. It's only 10 songs. We always, we love yep. 10 song records, but uh, it felt a lot longer than it's 44 minutes. Felt like a sixty-minute record to me. So, uh, now, what did you think when I first heard his vocal? As I was scanning the record the first time, just get a feel for the band. I was struggling a lot with uh, his pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I got used to it or 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 what, but uh, now when I listen to it, it seems more on. But when I first listened to this record, I was like, "Man, this guy's pitch is all over the place." Like, yeah. You know, he's not singing a key. Like, what the hell is going it on? It just sounded like he was disconnected from the music. Yeah. I mean, he would, yeah, there's some parts on here where he goes and hits notes, and you're like, whoa, where are you going with that, buddy? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, it's sort of in a different key. <laughs> like, he's changed a key, and the band isn't. Um, uh, you know, and not that I, I, I like interesting singers, I like singers who push and do unexpected things, but this is borderline. Um, I just kept hearing, uh, I just kept wanting to say, you're a little pitchy dog. Like, <laughs> like man, I, you know, brain it in a little bit. Like, I think the, vo- you know, there's, there's talent there. There's ability there, but, uh, sometimes he's, he's leaving his comfort zone. I think in, in, in ways that, um, hurt your ears a little bit. Yeah. If you're going to be, a sloppy vocalist you kind of have to own it you can't try right. to be, you can't you can't kind of be like you know a riff rock you know front man and then occasionally accidentally go out of key or pitch or whatever you know you kind of have yeah. to like either do it one way or the other you're either you're going to be neil young or you're vince neil i don't know i don't know what that meant right well there's not a raggedness to really to this it's all pretty clean sounding you know and even the vocal delivery, you know, it sounds at times like Eddie Vedder, but he's got the pitch of uh, Anthony Kiedis. Right. <laughs> so, you know, it's not always a great match. And I don't know, maybe I'm assuming with the success they've had in Denmark that he kind of gets it figured out at some point and figures, you know, what, 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 what's his, you know, some most singers have to understand where they're, where their range exists and where their capabilities lie. And you work within that. Um, maybe this is a case where he's hasn't quite figured that out yet. From what Abe said, clearly the, it's the 
you know, the ballady, softer stuff that's led them to the four number one records. Right. So when you when you listen to a song like Don't Look Back, it's probably hypochondriac where he's <laughs> doing that ridiculous over the top <laughs> scat vocal. Ay, ay, ay. Like clearly they figured, you know, and this is not to, you know, rag on the band too much. This is clearly a first album. Like you can hear it. They're, so, they're trying out a lot of ideas. There's a lot of energy. And, you know, the band had been together for three years. So, and to put out some e- self released, some demos and EPs and stuff like that. So, clearly, like, they had been building up to this for a couple years. And I forgot to mention the band was originally called Nirvana. <laughs> and then they, had changed, they, they changed their name. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, they named the band after, obviously, the Led Zeppelin song. Um, so so that song, uh, Don't Look Back, it's probably hypochondriac. That's a good example of, kind of goes to this chorusy part, I guess, mm-hmm. um, where he, he, he stops the sort of rapid fire, rappy kind of sound and goes into more like sustained notes. And it's really interesting chord changes and, uh, or at least melody, but it's just not quite in pitch. So it yeah. kind of sounds like a dog dying. You know what I mean, yeah, the, the notion there is cool, but you're like, ee! you know, the melody he's, he's, he's trying to pull off there is just quite not right. And it's a little cringy. Yeah, that whole song. I mean, even the music underneath him sounds forced. That's got a lot of the slap bass on it. Yeah. This Primus style, which I'm, I'm not a huge fan of. Yeah, I was trying to think of other bands that would work as like a comparison you know, we've mentioned, you know, it is like a weird amalgamation of like, you know, early Pearl Jam and Chili Peppers and I guess Primus. They get a little jazzy, too. Yeah. Um, which that with the vocal delivery, at, there were moments where I was like, oh, is this going to take like a soul coughing kind of spin? Um, it doesn't go quite there, but there's like this jazzy, I don't know, hip hoppy kind of thing that happens occasionally for like mm-hmm. 15 seconds <laughs> at a time. Um, yeah. So kind of dabbling in everything alternative at that time. It feels like, doesn't it? Like, yeah, yeah, definitely. Take a swap, take a, a, a broad stroke of alternative music in 1994. And this kind of hits almost every bit of it. Yep. So Jay, let's give our overall ratings on this record. Were the album better EP or a decent single? Where are you at? I hate to do this on request to reviews, but I'm gonna have to go with a decent single. This this doesn't doesn't do a whole lot for me. So yeah, I'm I, I'm in the same boat because I'm I just have a hard time locking down like what song I'd even want to revisit. Yeah, uh, there's just so much that throws me off uh, from song to song. I, I, the Leather Crane song, I, I guess I would say, would be the song that I like the best. It's the heaviest on the record, and not necessarily because it's heavy, but because it sounds like a. It sounds like they have are fully dialed in on that song, where some of the other ones, yeah, it's just they're just total missteps for me. It sounds less tedious, <laughs> and it's the longest it song on the record, like, which is funny. You know, you know, they just they get they have, it's based on a good riff. 
and they just kind of stick with the groove and it's got some melody and yeah i think there's some if i remember correctly that one has some awkward lyrics but uh yeah we're gonna let that pass if english (laughs) isn't your first language you're allowed to have some awkward lyrics i don't know i like uh the band dad quite a bit and uh they're they're from denmark and I think for the most part their lyrics are fine, like I mean, standard hard rock, you know, rock and roll lyrics. But they're not like they don't say things where you're like, "What? Right? <laughs> what? What does that mean?" So I don't, I don't know if it was uh, on purpose or a language issue. I, you know, even though Abe ripped on the stuff after the the, the third album and on, I'm actually kind of curious to hear what that sounds like based on the fact that yeah, they actually became quite popular. Uh, right right like I, i'm wondering if i'm in the same if i'm gonna react the same way as abe or if i'm gonna be like ah, no this is actually uh this is actually pretty good <laughs> if, abe you're batting you're batting 500 right now we like the, the section eight record this one we're not we're confused we're just confused by this so um but that's hey that'll get you in the hall of fame 500 record for baseball <laughs> not for true. football or basketball, or hockey. Oh, uh, what does that say about baseball? It says it's a weak sport played by sissy it's based, men. It's based on being good three out of ten times. Right. It's based on a lot of failure, uh, sir. You only failed six times out of ten. You go to the Hall of Fame. I'm sure we have a lot of listeners that are baseball fans. So. I actually, you know, probably. Of all the people that we've talked to on this show, in terms of musicians, you know, yeah. they always tend to be baseball fans. Yeah, I don't understand it. There's a I, there's kind of a indie, independent rock, indie rock kind of connection to baseball for some reason. I don't know. I also think Maybe. it's because baseball is played sometimes in the afternoon, so musicians yeah. while they're touring could go to a baseball stadium and then still play a show at night. Sure. Yep. So it's really just convenience why people like baseball. It's not that the sport's actually any good. Soccer is the hipster sport, and I would think baseball is probably the next after that, too. I wonder if uh, if baseball to try to attract a more hipster crowd will actually start having people play in like old timey <laughs> uniforms with like oh yeah mustaches and they, they seriously dude they do that in Austin. There's a uh, Sandlot base men's Sandlot baseball league. Oh no, there, there's a there's like an old timey baseball league in Columbus too. Yeah. But I'm saying, is Major League Baseball going to do that to attract? Oh, oh. oh. You know what I mean? Like have them yeah, play yeah. with like old school mitts and uh, you know handlebar mustaches, handlebar mustache and full cotton uniforms, <laughs> like baggy uniforms with the cotton hats. Dude, wool, dude. Or they wool, wore wool. Sorry, wool. And it's like you know it's 98 degrees outside in Texas oh, yeah. or whatever. People just dying, yeah, it, just dying from from heat stroke. Seems like the more boring that baseball gets, the the hipper it becomes for for some. <laughs> it becomes like counterculture. There you go. The more boring, the better. All right, we need to thank Abe for his requested review and supporting the podcast. Remind everybody, head on over to digmeoutpodcast.com, digmeoutpodcast.com, to request your review or join us at Patreon. At either the one dollar level or the two fifty level, one dollar gets you backstage access. Two fifty gets you a request to review after twelve months, and you can join our board of directors to help us pick albums, get behind the 
scenes, footage from episodes, like our most recent roundtable where we put up like 10 minutes of pre-show chatter of us talking about nonsense. That was fun. And as always, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes. I think that's it. Don't yep. get me wrong now. If the uh, the Indians win the World Series this year, I'll be on here talking about baseball. <laughs> so for Bandwagon Jumper J. Hey, man, I went to a lot of Indians games as a kid. Oh, There's did, no bandwagon here. I, I, Jay, not only did I go to Indians games when I lived in Cleveland, I went to AAA Buffalo Bisons games when they were the AAA affiliate of the Indians. Yeah. So I know. I know. We're on, we're, we're on the wagon. Yeah. Look, but we're on the boring wagon. We're just not paying attention. Right, exactly. You don't have to pay attention to baseball during the regular season. It's 162 games. <laughs> Who the hell has to pay attention to that? Uh, All right. I, what were you going to say? I was just going to say I, I don't even pay attention to baseball when I have it on. I basically put it on so I can fall asleep. Like on a Saturday afternoon. That's a ringing endorsement for baseball. Just, <laughs> Saturday afternoon, there's nothing going on. I'll just throw the game on and then I'll just fall asleep within five minutes. Baseball, we help you nap on Saturday afternoons. <laughs> All right. For Jay... I'm Tim. We're out, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. You can support the podcast by becoming a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com backslash digmeout or requesting a review for the 2016 season at our request a review page at digmeoutpodcast.com. Satisfaction, you